Since I'm trying to make up some time, let us stand for the reading of God's Word in Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be reading uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Bible says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, at first glance, it seems like a standard greeting from your apostle. At first glance, it seems to be rather simple. But a second look would cause us to realize that it is an ocean as deep as your love. It is a truth that is so profound that it actually precedes time and God we have very finite understandings how can we understand the infinite so God with all of our various backgrounds here with all our various degrees of stresses or distractions Lord with all of us coming with sinful hearts of course we come by the grace of God, for the grace of God. So, Holy Spirit of God, teach us and show us the Son. In Jesus' name, amen. I played football like everybody else in Oklahoma. You start off in sixth grade, few of the city kids they started off in like fourth grade peewees and stuff but in sixth grade we got our uh, we got our pads and and helmets and all of that kind of stuff and and we were all very excited about that because the whole idea of football was just to hit the other guy and when I started out playing I, I got my, my, my helmet and my pads and my, all of that stuff, and they showed us how to put all that stuff together. They were very instructive, and then we went out and we ran the ropes, and we learned how to get in a stance, and, and then we, we learned about, you know, we, we learned how to tackle and, and how to block, and we did all of that kind of stuff, and it was in groups. And I played all the way up through the senior year as a uh, starting uh, sophomore, and then was a left guard for all of that time I left pulling guard and I was a nose guard for a little while and weighed 160 pounds but again this was south central Oklahoma and you know and uh got several concussions which is part of the problem and a, sh- a, sh- a shoulder surgery out of the deal and a knee surgery out of the deal and it's just so worth it right but I played and I enjoyed my position but here's something during all those years no coach ever explain to me the game of football they taught me my position they gave me my playbook and I was happy to do my little part my part was right here my job was to defend the quarterback against the linebackers or someone from over here okay my job was to make sure to keep the hole open so the halfback or the tailback could fall through and go and or the quarterback could do what he wanted to do with a sneak that was my job I knew nothing really about who was next to me I I didn't understand the game 
I, I knew the whole object was to get the ball over the goal line. I knew that. I knew we were supposed to make up yards. I knew that. But I, no one ever explained how the, what the whole function of the team was. They never explained how all of it worked together. So I played football all those years, just happy to fill my little spot. And, you know, the, the game was, and I was one of those guys that, I mean, I didn't get too worked up if we won or lost because, quite honestly, I was uh, so enjoyment, enjoyable of my position, I got to play. And if you lost because all of you guys didn't do whatever, so that's your, you know, I got to play. And, um, and to this day, I still don't care who wins or loses football. I, in fact, anyway, so, you know, but that's, the, the, the irony is no one explained the whole game to me. Don't you find that odd? No one put it up on the board and said, now, boys, here's all the positions. There's offense, there's defense, there's special teams. Here's why we coach the way we do. Here's why we run the plays the way we do. Here's, why, here's how each of your positions work together to bring the ball over the goal line. That would have been, wow, like, wow. Right? It's like I was given a chapter out of a 32-chapter book, and I got chapter 12, and that was mine. I didn't really, I, I was aware there were other chapters, but didn't have any idea really how they fit together. So I was quite content with my little chapter. And I would say to you, that's how largely American Christianity is. That's how the study of the Bible can be, too. We're taught to go to the Bible to look for what helps us first. We don't go with the view of what Christ has done. We don't go with the view of making him big. It's, here's where I can read to help myself feel better. So American Christianity is much like my experience with football. We know our little spot. We're, we're grateful to be here. But do we understand the game? You say, what does it have to do with anything? Well, it actually has quite a bit. Because... In this, uh, in this chapter, or in this pericope of verses, I was going to teach through five realities of the Christian life that God has given us. But I got hung up right there. I couldn't go any further. So this is sermon three, number one. Okay. Because did you know... There can be no peace unless first there's grace. Did you know that? And I got thinking about, well, what is grace, really? And I was overwhelmed. I, I penciled out some things that I want to share with you. Kind of overall, the power that is contained in these verses we just read. First, there is no greater, more powerful demonstration of power in all of eternity than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has all power and all authority. He is life and He is awesome in His sovereign rule. 
Jesus has no equals. He has no fears and He has no weakness. Okay? He is to those for whom He died the Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of course, that comes out of Isaiah 9, 6. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, there is a warning given to the kings of the earth where it says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, and serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So we have fear and we have trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. Why does that make a difference? Because in our pericope, it says, who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever. So clearly, we have a risen King that rules sovereignly with complete authority. So right in just in these, in these, uh, these, these few verses... We have the summation of complete and total power and authority. So I got to my first point, and it stuck right there. Grace and peace. Now, how many of you would love to have some grace? I do. How many of you love peace? We do. But notice the condition here in the Scripture for perfect grace and perfect peace, it says from God the Father, but it's to you who believe. So my question is, why grace? Because it is by grace that we are saved. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. By grace. It is grace that provides us, see this, faith. It's grace that provides faith. Not the other way around. We hear in our world today, you need to have faith. God is gracious to provide. No, God in His grace provides faith. Which gives us access to God. Did you see that part? Okay, And it is grace in which we stand. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Grace is free. You do not earn grace. For those of you who come from legalistic backgrounds or heavy religious backgrounds, grace is free or it's no longer grace. In Romans eleven six, 6, it says, And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their works, for in that case God's grace would not be what, what it really is, free and undeserved. That's the element of grace. So what I want to do is I want to go back real quick with the time I have 
And I want to look at verse 3. It says, Grace to you and peace from the God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go back on my slide here. From, notice this, God the Father and, and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. What is that? Did you know there's an actual name for this right here? It's called the Pactum Salutis, for those of you who love Latin. Okay? It's an agreement. An agreement to save. I'm going to read something to you. First, before I do, I'm going to read a section a little bit out of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. But before I do, I'm going to read to you from Paul Washer's book, The Preeminent Christ. I don't know who got this for me, but this is your fault. <clears throat> As Paul Washer is writing through the preeminence of Christ, he utilizes a lot of the ancient confessions, the old confessions, 1691, Westminster, Belgic, you name it. But he says, the purpose for citing the following creeds and confessions is not to endorse those who wrote them or to affirm every detail of their content. It is simply to demonstrate two important realities. First, that the gospel holds a central place in the doctrines of historical Christianity. And second, that the essential tenets of the gospel have been affirmed by genuine believers throughout the long history of the church. Agreed? An important principle of hermeneutics, which is just a seminary word for interpretation. Hermeneutics just simply means interpretation. An important principle of hermeneutics is that we should study the scriptures in the context of the church. From the apostolic era until the present, there have been believers who have been revered, loved, and studied the scriptures. They represent nearly two millennia of interpretation that serves not only as instruction, but also as a subordinate standard by which we might compare our own private or personal interpretations. If all the Bible-believing Christians throughout history are in agreement with regard to a certain interpretation of the Bible, but our personal interpretation or that of our generation differs from them, it should be a red flag to warn us that we may be in error and should reconsider our opinions. Let me translate that real quick. For 2,000 years, the church, from the Lord's ascension up to now, through various controversies that first erupted from uh, Gnosticism and on through having to defend certain elements of the faith, the hypostatic union, the trinity, and on and on, what is justification, all of those things, the propitiation of Christ, okay? For 2,000 years, the church has bled and died and labored in making these very clear using the Scripture to back it up. And they wrote it down. And they all agreed, this is it. And then you want to come along because you don't agree? You've been alive for 40 years? Okay. You want to kick to the curb 2,000 years of heritage in the Gospels? Okay. Maybe you just don't like what they say. Maybe you don't like what they're teaching. Maybe you don't like it because it didn't line up with what you want it to be. He goes on to finish out with this. 
It is a great display of arrogance to isolate ourselves from 2,000 years of church history and interpret the Bible in a personal vacuum. You get what that's saying? I heard a guy in my office the other day, before he left, he said, well, that's why God gave us, that's tragic. <laughs> he said, that's why God gave us all these different churches, and then he walked out the door. Well, it was one, you know, and I thought, oh, no, no, he did not. Our sin and our indifference, God in his mercy is allowing it, but no, he did not. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and through all and in you all. Okay, now, we do have differences in various things, but if you go back to the historic confessions, you'll find that in every single one of them, Jesus reigns. So therefore, I want to read from you what's known as God's covenant. This has to do with the pactum salutis, the covenant of redemption. You ever heard of it, anyone here? Covenant of redemption? Well, a few, okay. <clears throat> this is chapter 7, 1. Though rational creatures are responsible to obey God as their creator, the distance between God and these creatures is so great that they could never have attained the reward of life except by God's voluntary condescension. He has been pleased to express this through a covenant framework. And you know as well as I do that as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see covenant, 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 ending with the what? what's the last one? The new covenant. That Christ came to establish, okay? And I, I don't have time to go through all the scriptures here. We'll get into that in a second. Since humanity brought itself under the curse of the law by its fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace, okay? In this covenant, he freely offers to sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. On their part, he offers, uh, on their part, he requires faith in him that they may be saved. And promises to give His Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to eternal life to make them willing and able to believe. Now remember we just said, grace to you and peace through. You can't muster it up. You're dead in your sins. It goes on to say, this covenant of grace is revealed in the gospel. It was revealed first of all to Adam in the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman. Remember Genesis 3.15. Okay. After that, it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament. This covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the Father and the Son concerning the redemption of God's elect. Only through the grace of this covenant have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality. Humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms on which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence because no one will be justified by the law. It's all by grace. That's just its section on what we call, or what is better known as the pactum, Salutis, the covenant of redemption. I will go on and get a little more descriptive here. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon wrote, and here's why it's important to understand this. The doctrine of the divine covenant lies at the root of all true theology. It has been said that 
He who well understands the distinction between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace is a master of divinity. Now, I mentioned law and grace last time. And, and Galatians is full of the, the distinction between law and gospel or grace. Okay? Remember, the law says do. The gospel says done or grace is done. A covenant then is an agreement between God and human beings where God promises blessings if the conditions are kept and threatens curses if the conditions are broken. Okay? Adam in the garden, if you remember, and we're going to look at this in a second, I just want to recall, you can have all of this, but of this tree, if you eat it, you will die. So, do this and live. Don't do this, die. That's what's known as the covenant of works. Okay? And then we see in Genesis 15 the beginning, the, 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 uh, the shadow, if you will, of the, gospel, the, the covenant of grace. And we see covenant of grace actually coming on the scene early throughout because what did God do for Adam and Eve? He provided coverings. Did he not? Okay. But in, De- in Deuteronomy 28, under the Mosaic Covenant, which I would, I'm going to try, now look, <laughs> try to hang with me here, okay? This is, uh, the covenant of works that God gave Adam is republished or re- re-given, expanded in the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, that's how you have to think about it. Okay? In Deuteronomy 28, before they're going to go in and, and, and inherit the land, like before they're going to go in and dwell in the land, he said, if you keep this covenant, all these blessings and all of your produce and all of the rain you need and everything will be yours. And then he hits the cursing part of it. If you've ever read through that, In which case, did happen in A.D. 70. Okay? It was just exact opposite. But it was a covenant of works. They were to perform that. Now, so we have the covenant of works, and we have another one coming up, covenant of grace. To understand this big picture of, like, remember football? Right? Remember? So, Jeff, brother, I'm glad you're in the body. I'm glad you're a participant in... And in the in the nature of Jesus and, and sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you've been given grace, but it's so much bigger than you know, okay? And and you have a spot to fulfill, but you're connected to every other one of us because we're all connected to what the Trinity of God Himself, the Godhead agreed upon to do before the foundation of the world, what we call pre-temporal, outside of time. In other words, It didn't start with you, brother. It didn't start with me. It started in the heart of God. Your salvation started in the Godhead before time. Pray for me, because this is hard. Uh, There are three main covenants from which all other covenants come. Three. There's an overarching umbrella covenant, if you will, 
We just talked about it. The covenant of redemption, the pactum salutis. The Trinity in Isaiah chapter 42, and I've got a rush, man. So, okay, I'm going to read. You just try to listen. Isaiah 42, 1 through 7. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out for, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged. That's shouting ground. Okay, that's our king. That's the captain of our salvation he's talking about here. A smoking flax, he will never be put out. He will not fail nor be discouraged he, till he has established justice in the earth. Till he has done that. He's doing that, okay? Now, and, and, and the coastland shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, referring to the Son. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the Gentiles. So there you go. There's just our, one of our indications from the Old Testament to bring out prisoners from the prison who sat in darkness from the prison house. Incredible truth about this pactum salutis, this eternal agreement, this covenant of grace. In John chapter 6, there's more. Oh, but there's more. In verse 37, Jesus is praying, or, he, or He's teaching, I'm sorry, and He says, All that the Father gives me, remember the elect, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So if you have problems with your, with your security in Jesus Christ, if you have problems, if you think that you're going to somehow be lost, if you think you can lose your salvation, if, if you're just... You don't have confidence in the fact that God can keep you. There you go. It is as eternal as the covenant of redemption. Because it's an agreement in the Godhead itself that you were given and you will not be lost. So see, the cure, the cure for, for doubting salvation is found in doctrine. Because doctrine is the revealed truth of the great truths distilled on that issue given in the Scripture to, up, to undergird us in our faith. He goes on to say after that, because I mean, you could preach for a month right there. They will by no means be cast out. For I have come down from heaven. Now notice this part. We're talking about the agreement. Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all He has given me, that seems specific, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, believes in Him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. And the word interesting there for see has to do with the eyes of faith. 
that grace gives. Here you are walking along. Michelle, do you mind if I make you as an example here? Michelle was walking along there in her day, not what, two years ago? Your salvation? Two? Somewhere thereabouts? And she saw the cross. Literally, because there was one put up. She walked this many times before. But that day, she saw it. You'd seen it before, I'm sure. You'd see, but she saw it. God, in His mercy and in His grace, in that moment gave her faith. She was regenerated. She was made alive. She believed. She was justified before God in that moment. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. You will never be lost, sister. Ever. No matter how bad you feel, how mad you get. Because he who called you is faithful who also will do it. Because. All that because. That grace was because you were in the heart of God before time began. And you were gifted to the Son. Not by any works which you have done by his mercy now you tell me that won't preach think of it like this the father planned the son accomplished and the spirit applies now there's so much more we need to say but I don't have time the covenant of works just talked about in Adam in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Lord, multiply the time like the five loaves and the two fish. <laughs> then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And you'll notice the big key word there is dominion. God, God gave Adam uh, dominion. And he blew it. Our first federal head blew it. Okay, now here's what happened. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there were two trees that were instructed to look at. Tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Okay. Now a river went out from there to water the garden. From there it parted and became four river heads. Now I won't really get into all that because I just don't have time. But in verse 15, it says... Um, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded in verse 16 that man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That was the covenant that God made with our first federal head. Whew. Then... We have chapter 3, and if you read chapter 3, you'll understand what happened. Satan comes into the picture, appeals to the sight and taste buds of, of Eve, 
Adam standing right there looking on tempts them that they can think like God too. Says, just take of the garden of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eat. God knows you won't die. They did. They fell. They did not keep the covenant. They broke it. Spiritually separated from God. All of that sin that they incurred completely passed to all of us too as their progeny. What are we going to do? We have a covenant of works. And we failed. The Jews had a covenant of works. They failed. Now, interestingly enough, and I love this. I put this on the screen because it's so good. I never heard about that being a covenant of works there in Adam. Well, look right here. Hosea 6-7. But like Adam, you broke my covenant. And you betrayed my trust. Some people like to say, well, the word Adam can simply mean humanity or whatever. But you know the funny thing, when Scripture interprets Scripture... It all adds up. Now, here we are. We're hopeless. I can't live good enough. I cannot keep the law of God. Let's think of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How many of you this week would care to admit that you have indeed put another God in front of you? Idolaters. How many of you would care to admit that you've actually created a, car, a graven image of some kind somewhere in your life. And we go on down and on down. And some of you, how many of you, have you honored your father and mother? Have you been jealous of others? Have you kept the Lord's day? Have, the law shows us our need for something that we can't have ourselves. So we get into the covenant of grace. Oh, man. We get into Abraham. Okay, a few minutes to spare. In Genesis chapter 12, there's this, this uh, guy named Abraham. And it says in verse, uh, in Gen- see, where I'm trying, yeah, there I am. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family. And from your father's house to a land where I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and, you're, and, and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And if you read into 15, we understand how that covenant was ratified. Abraham went to sleep. God passed through the pieces, which, dis, which was a depiction of if God is saying, if I fail to keep this covenant with you, may this happen to me. Okay, and in 17, suddenly it goes from a speck of land in the Middle East to the whole world. Okay, it got so much bigger. Grace, right? But, but, there, but there's so much more because I'll expand it into Galatians chapter 3 because that's the book we're in after all. Okay, in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 8 and 9, it says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with with believing Abraham. And then in verse 15 and 19 brethren I speak in the manner of men though it is only a man's covenant yet if it is confirmed no one annuls it or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and seeds as of many but as of one and to your seed who is Christ. So the whole time 
What was in view? In the covenant of redemption, which was made obvious by the covenant of works, which we failed to keep, and the covenant of grace, which Jesus did, because here's something you have to remember. God, help us understand this. Jesus had two things that he had to do. He had to pay the penalty back that Adam incurred. Okay. He had to keep everything perfectly. The law. He had to make atonement for us. He did this as the second Adam, and Romans has a lot to say about that. Okay. The thing about it is, is this. The grace that you've received. It's not there as a, hey, how you doing? Grace to you. Top of the morning. Good day. When Paul says grace to you and peace, he's going all the way back to why it's there in the first place. The fact that in the heart of God, he elected a people that he would redeem. Jesus, as the perfect sacrificial lamb, would atone, and the Holy Spirit would apply that. That's grace. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't work your way into it. You can't make yourself believe it. God must give it to you. The beauty of grace is it's so much bigger than just a small little word. And it began way, way back. That's the game. The grace that pardons us. The grace that sustains us. The grace that takes me where I am in my, 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 my life and my failings and my, and my sin. My second Adam, my, my, my federal head, Jesus Christ, paid my sin debt. Now I'm going to say this and I'll close. We say a lot, and it's true, we are not saved by works, but we are. It's true, technically, we really are just not our works because that covenant of works demands that they be filled and completed and kept so my Jesus the second Adam he did and then he takes that and guess what he does with it he imputes it to me to us and why does he do it because of grace but specific because it goes back to that pactum salutis in the beginning before the foundation of the of the world does anyone say amen to that amen. there there is no way to just be about the message of the gospel it's an amazing thing now i i i have much more to go and i can't so I'm going to leave it with this. Are you amazed by grace? When you hear that song now, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, 
will you go farther now? Will your mind somehow imagine this eternal agreement in the Godhead and somehow imagine your name being mentioned as one whom He has gifted to the Son and one with whom the Spirit will apply. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. That grace is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. Now, I could, I, again, I, I, could, I, could, I could say so much more. But we have to get off this idea that God owes us something. Okay? He owes us nothing. But He gave us everything. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. Brother JT, what we're going to do is we're going to just have a time to just kind of try to soak this in a little bit. Just to try to grab it. This is the whole in a, in a snapshot event, this is the whole picture. And we just got to verse 3, word 1. Grace. Grace. Do you know grace? Do you understand the gospel is God's covenant to, to grace, of grace to you who believe? Do you understand that without Jesus, you're under the covenant of works and you will perish there? There's never enough you'll be able to do, ever. Flee to the one who paid your sin debt. Flee to the one who fulfilled it perfectly. And as Peter preached, received with, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And here's how it looks. There I was on a creek in Oklahoma. You've heard it, right? It's my story. Mickey, do you know Jesus? No. I rolled over on my sleeping bag and as much as a 12-year-old can, I said, Lord, please save me from my sin. I do believe that you are the Son of God that you died for me. And it wasn't anything anyone told me to say. It wasn't, it just was, just as Michelle saw the cross that day, I saw the truth of the gospel in the way that God does it that evening and he saved me that day so for, for a few minutes the altar is open if you need to come if not we'll close